welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. We have weekly discussions with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. My guest today is Dave Huggins. Dave is a USDA ARS soil scientist with the Northwest Sustainable Agroecosystems Research Unit in Pullman, Washington. Dr. Huggins conducts research in sustainable farming systems including the use of crop modeling to predict yield, as well as other soil-related topics, such as management impacts on soil organic matter, soil acidification, soil fertility, and nutrient use efficiency. Hello, Dave. Good morning, Drew. So um, crop modeling, it's uh, something I toyed around with a little bit when I was a dryland cropping systems person in Nebraska, kind of a useful tool. You've you've been... um, doing some modeling work here lately. What are some of the questions you're trying to address with crop modeling? Yeah, good question, Drew. And to back up a little bit and put things into context, you know, our capacity to collect data seems to be ever-growing, you know, whether that's weather data or if it's soils kinds of data or economic data. So, you know, we find ourselves in a position of we're kind of drowning in data but starving for knowledge. So how do we start to put all that data into a meaningful package? You know, so we're kind of translating data and, and and forming it into information and then knowledge. And hopefully, you know, that knowledge starts to inform our decision making. So, you know, crop modeling is one way to start to gather all that data together and put it into a useful context from the standpoint of our, our knowledge, and hopefully translating it into kinds of useful, a useful tool for making better decisions. So, you know, in terms of the, our activities today, we're mostly been using with, uh, working with uh, Dr. Claudio Stockel. He's with the WSU uh, Biosystems Engineering. Biosystems um, Engineering, yeah. You know, uh, Dr. Stockel has worked with a, a, what we call a process-oriented model called CropSyst. And, and this uh, particular model is able to start to grapple with the complexities of how plants grow and how they get resources and use them from the sun or from water and from the soil, et cetera. And so we've been using that model to try to look at specific questions. And one of the questions we have is, you know, the use of the potential use for flex cropping and making flex cropping decisions. So um, many farmers in the area, they'll make a decision from the standpoint of whether they want to fallow this year or if they want to grow a crop. And and every year tends to be a little bit different. And we see these kinds of decisions playing out in the field in terms of kind of an intensification in wetter years of more crops being grown and then in drier years, more fallow being out there. So so our our, our question was, can we use a crop model to basically try to predict what the yields may be for this upcoming year and to do that for some of the flex cropping options that you may have from the standpoint of a spring crop. So um, one of the projects that was part of a, of a PhD dissertation by Harsamram Kaur was to basically uh, go through and model uh, spring canola, spring wheat, and spring peas across the dryland region, so of Oregon, Idaho, and Washington, and to model that, so using the CropSys model, but also using the weather data that we've had during the course of the fall and the, and the early winter and um, 
uh, and winter and the accumulation of precipitation that occurs. So the current year's data, and we found that, of course, water drives a lot of our, our yields. So we're thinking, and we are in a Mediterranean-like climate, so much of our precipitation actually occurs during the, the winter that kind of determines a, a large portion of that yield potential. So we're looking at the current year's weather data, looking to see how our soils start to recharge in terms of water, and then running the model based on the current year's data. But then for the weather that we don't know in terms of the rest of the season right up through harvest, we basically use historic weather, uh, a 30-year normal average. Um, but we'll use 30 years of data to basically simulate, use the model every year of those 30 years to kind of to append to the modeling that we're doing with the current year to give a sense of uncertainty around the results. And so from that standpoint, what we did was we modeled, uh, again, these are simulated yields for this coming year um, on, on December 1st, and then January 1st, on February 1st, and on uh, March 1st and April 1st to see then how well we're able to simulate an actual year that's already occurred. And so from that standpoint, we start to, to see how well the model is performing from the standpoint of predicting a yield, a given yield uh, for that year. And a little bit of what we're finding there is that, that as we get more information, <laughs> as we get the, the weather accumulating, um, our results in terms of our capacity to get closer to those simulated results for that year, tend to improve as we go from, from uh, December to January to February. And then after February, at least in comparison to March and April, we've kind of maxed out. And we're seeing that we're, we're almost predicting about 70% of the variability of the yield by the time we get to February for that spring crop that we're looking at. And so we're thinking then, and then we can create maps of, of these uh, crops across the region in terms of oh, what's the, the uh, kind of the mean yield in any given location. And uh, we can combine that with kind of the uncertainty. That's the what we call the coefficient of variation that kind of looks at, well, how scattered is that particular uh, yield in any given location as well. And hopefully this starts to provide some information that, uh, that growers could look at and say, hey, we're in a, like for instance this year, we're in above average precipitation in much of the region. Does it start to make sense to look at more of a, of a flex crop scenario and replace some of our some of our fallow typically with a spring crop. I could also see something like that working well for making a decision on uh, some nitrogen application of it. Looks like your yield come February or March is looking really good. Maybe you can go out and supplement with a little, because as yield tends to go up, protein levels tend to go down. And um, you might make, if you're growing a hard red wheat, you might want to add nitrogen or, or make some, it wouldn't, your ability to make decisions in the crop year might be improved if you have a better idea what your crop's going to do. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a good point. And, you know, in terms of trying to use crop models like this, the, you know, one of the objectives is to try to see, is to try to kind of get a crystal ball out into the future and to do that before some important decision points you're, that you're, you're coming up to right. from the standpoint of, of either whether to grow a crop or not, but other inputs as well, like you mentioned, in terms of nitrogen. And certainly that feeds back into into what we might be thinking our yields will be for that particular year. So from that standpoint, right. And so, you know, and this is, 
a little bit of the power of models if they're actually performing well, <laughs> which we could talk about. But if they're performing well, then my gosh, they give you some insights into what the future might be. And, you know, you look into the future and some of our capacity to to predict some of the more mid-range weather uh, and what might be occurring is getting better and, and better. And so, you know, that type of information can feed back into the models to give us even better kinds of predictions in terms of outcomes for that particular year. Okay, so let's talk about that. How how well are these models doing at predicting? I assume you're, you're verifying some of the model output on in the field. Are, are you doing a pretty good job on that? Well, that's a great question, and it, it really gets back to how much confidence do we have in any particular model. And I'll mention that the model that we're using currently is the CropSys model, and this is a model that was developed at Washington State University. So it's kind of an in-house model, and much of the testing of this model has involved a lot of field experiments. So the process is, okay, we go and we grow various crops. We monitor lots of, of um, variables from the standpoint of how much moisture in the field, how is the crop responding to respond responding to that and how is it growing throughout the season. And this model then takes that type of information and puts it all together from the standpoint of, of you know, predicting what the yield will be. So it all really, though, depends on how well it's able to do that. And then, you know, of course, that represents that field data represents data from that particular year and of course every year and every place is different so then you start to to think well how well will it perform in other locations and so that's where you really if we're going to push this whole modeling effort forward we're going to have to to basically set up a network of field types of of, um, of situations where we're growing different crops and we're also measuring you know, things like weather and how much initial, what are the initial conditions from the standpoint of soil, water, et cetera, in order to feed into the model and drive it and then check the model to see how it's doing. And this is so, this is a little bit of the process that we went through from the standpoint of creating this regional map was to basically use a variety trial data for the last five years and look at those, how well, you know, the, the model was able to actually predict the yields that we found in those variety trials that were scattered about, you know, the three states in terms of, of canola and spring wheat and, uh, and peas. So, so we did kind of okay, but I'm not, you know, I can say that I'm real happy with that. And certainly we can make improvements, you know, moving forward, particularly if we wanted to get a little bit more aggressive from the standpoint of use of these models. I think we're going to have to set up a, a network that, and I think, you know, in my way of thinking, you know, we already have a, have a, have a, a network of variety trials that are out there. I think a, a logical step might be to start to make sure that we're collecting the data that drive the model, like the weather data, the initial conditions, and that, then we can start to, to check and run the model and see how well we're doing in any particular location. And that helps to see, okay, are there improvements that we can make to the model in terms of making it better? And certainly I think that's the case. But it also starts to, to tell you, well, how well is that model actually performing? So that's the kind of process that you would go through. Okay. So we've been talking about using a model for flex crop decision making. What other uh, uses do you see for crop modeling in this part of the world? Yeah. So um, basically, you know, if you look at Cropsist anyway, it's, it's able to handle uh, different crops. And so, you know, in terms of assessing how alternative crops might do, um, we've, we've modeled flax and uh, safflower and corn and other kinds of, of crops that we, and then 
create maps again of yields of those particular uh, kinds of crop options. And so, you know, so assessing alternative crops is, is one thing to do, particularly if we don't have a lot of field knowledge about that particular crop in terms of how it might perform. A model might be a good um, a first step at trying to assess how it may do in various uh, parts of, of the region. So I think that's um, um, an obvious type of, of, of application. But also, you know, even the crops that we grow now, it would be very useful to know what the yield potential might be for winter wheat and other kinds of crops that we grow, chickpeas, et cetera. And that's another application that this model can be used for in terms of, of basically uh, mapping regionally the output or the yields from these particular crops. I know in my experience with crop models, they're pretty good at uh, predicting potential yield. And so if you can figure out what the potential yield is, and oftentimes we don't reach that, then you can kind of look at why aren't we reaching those potential yields and try to get at what, what are the factors that are limiting us from obtaining those yields. Yeah, that's a, another good point, Drew, because, you know, our, our models are okay. This, this crop test model is primarily driven by water and temperature and, and light. And so from that standpoint, it's not including issues that you may have with disease or with weeds or with fertility issues, these kinds of things. So from that standpoint, you're right, the, the crop model kind of tells you what a potential yield might be. But of course, you know, what actually happens in any given landscape is is much more complicated than what this model is going to, to do. So from that standpoint, that's simply where we are from the standpoint of this whole modeling effort moving forward. I can see, though, that we are stout to bring in some of those other factors, but we're not there yet from the standpoint of integrating some of those other factors in terms of how they impact yield. I think crop models can be a great tool. We have a, a ways to go to, to make them as good as we'd like to make them, but I think it's a really interesting uh, area of research, and I look forward to hearing more about that and what you're doing with models in the future. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you have questions for us that you'd like to hear addressed on future episodes, please email me at drew.lion at wsu.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu. You can also find us on social media on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. Subscribe to the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next week.